Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Proverbs chapter 30. We were in Psalm 23, verse 5 last week. You may wonder why we're not in Psalm 23, verse 6. Well, it was about a year ago this Sunday that I actually preached uh, Psalm 23, 6. Now, maybe a lot of you wouldn't have remembered that, but uh, I made the decision uh, to, uh, to go a different direction. You can find it if, uh, if you're really interested in, um, in hearing it. So today we are in Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to read verses 24 through 28, but let me say a few words about the book of Proverbs. It interacts a lot with God's creation, general revelation. There's observation, reflection, lessons drawn from from God's creation. You see that in, in many of the numerical sayings that are here uh, in the middle of, of chapter 30. But this interaction with God's general revelation is not divorced from God's special revelation. Agur's confession at the beginning of chapter 30 shows the necessity for God's special revelation. So we interact with God's general revelation based on the foundation in God's special revelation. This passage before us is a great example of what we might call practical wisdom, street-level wisdom, proximate wisdom, if you will. There is an ultimate wisdom that Proverbs deals with, which we'll talk about, uh, but, but this is very practical. And this is in the area of sanctification, if you will. Uh, where we are called to act responsibly. If we were in the area of justification, then we can't bring anything uh, to God. The law condemns us. But once we're in the area of sanctification, uh, we then want to do what God wants us to do, and the law becomes a guide to lead us. So I want to make clear that this sermon is not a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstrap sermon, okay? Um, Most of you know me. Uh, and um, we've already had the gospel presented, but uh, this sermon is over on the side of calling us to responsibility, as the book of Proverbs is very good at doing. So let's give our attention to these short verses, Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 24. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. And the lizard, you can take it in your hands, yet... It is in kings' palaces. Let's pray. Father, your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning between the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Lord, you are a surgeon, opening up the depths of our hearts so that you might change us. From inside out, we pray, O Lord, that your word would have that effect in the lives of your people today. 
We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone faces disadvantages in life. Some are more difficult than others, but everyone faces some kind of obstacle, some kind of limitation in life. An 18-year-old woman dives into the shallow water of the Chesapeake Bay, fractures her spinal cord and becomes a quadriplegic. She's paralyzed from the shoulders down for the rest of her life. That is a major obstacle, a major limitation. An eight-year-old boy living in the inner city of Detroit loses his father, kicked out of the house by his mother because of infidelity. A single mother raising two boys, working several jobs to make ends meet. So many disadvantages, so many pitfalls to avoid, so many things can go wrong. We all face some kind of obstacle in life, and the key question is, how do we respond to those obstacles? How do we respond to the disadvantages that we face in life? Scripture has something to say about this, found in the book of Proverbs. And it's helpful to understand as we approach Proverbs that there are two perspectives in the book of Proverbs. There's an ultimate perspective which stresses that a person is not really wise unless you have a relationship with God. The foundation of wisdom is given in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding, the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs begins with the premise that you cannot really be a wise person unless you start with the fear of God. That's the ultimate perspective. But there is a proximate perspective in Proverbs, what we might call practical wisdom, street-level wisdom, The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about how to navigate the trials, the obstacles, the disadvantages of life so that even if someone doesn't really believe the Bible, if they would put into practice the financial principles you find in the book of Proverbs, their life would probably be a lot better than if they ignored those principles. Practical wisdom for daily life. How to live your life in a way that avoids the problems of life, but also helps you to succeed in life. The answer that Proverbs gives to the question of how to respond to the obstacles of life goes against much of what we hear today. It goes against the grain of our culture today. The typical response today is to blame someone else for your life situation. To blame someone else for why your life is not what you would really like it to be. Your disadvantages are someone else's fault. Now sometimes there's truth to that, isn't there? Some hardships in life might be due to someone else. There is injustice in the world. There are hard situations that are beyond our control. There are appropriate ways and times to address those concerns, but what is prevalent today is the desire of people to find something else to blame for what has gone wrong with their life. The disadvantages that people face are real. Many times the excuses are manufactured and the results are devastating. 
people never move beyond their situation in life, becoming trapped in what they see is hopeless. God's wisdom can help us overcome the disadvantages of life by focusing on the right things to pursue in life and to have the proper goals in life. We see this displayed in the wonder of creation. God has built into His creation certain principles that that help teach us about life. And so we have the examples in our text today of four creatures that face disadvantages but they overcome them. And they are used to teach us how to live in God's world in a way that demonstrates wisdom. Four creatures, three principles, three obstacles that we're going to look at today. Street-level wisdom. So the first obstacle that we see presented in this text is the obstacle, the disadvantage of not being very strong. And we will be able to overcome that disadvantage through resourceful planning. So this is exemplified in both the ant and the rock badger. Verse 25 says, The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. We know what an ant is, right? We know what it means when it says that they are not strong. You ever been walking along the sidewalk and you see an ant try to move a twig across the sidewalk? Even the larger black ants have a hard time with that twig. They lack brute strength. They cannot overpower anyone. And you can crush hundreds of them by just stepping on them. Now, as an aside, the little red ant is different, right? (laughs) From this area of the country, you accidentally step on one of their nests and you're in big trouble. Uh, So we're not talking about that little red ant here. We are not not as familiar with the rock badger. The technical name is Hyrex, a small animal the size of a rabbit that is vulnerable to the many predators that would make a meal of it. They're also, in in, in verse uh, 26, described as not mighty. They don't have the ability to defend themselves. They're small, vulnerable to attack, easy to destroy, easy to make a meal of. And so both the ant and the rock badger are not very strong. Now the way to overcome this disadvantage in these examples is through resourceful planning. The ants, it says, provide their food in the summer. To have food last from one harvest to the next, you have to do some planning. You have to do some planning so that you have food when summer gets here. You have to plan how this crop will last until the next harvest. And you have to work hard to make sure that those plans are implemented so that the goal of providing food all year is met. You see, wisdom is not only planning for the future, it's working hard at the right times so your plans are carried out. And the result of such resourceful planning is security. 
Security, you have food in the summer, but security is also seen in the example of the rock badger. They make their homes in the cliffs. Even though they're they're vulnerable to predators, they live in places that protect them from predators. This security is not the ultimate security which Proverbs talks about, an ultimate security found in, in God. This is a security that is a second level, if you will, security for the living of daily life. What we see from these two examples is that planning for the future is a way to provide security. So when was the last time you examined the direction of your life? What are your goals in life? Have you thought about how you might reach those goals? What do you need to do now to prepare for the next year that's coming up? What's the next major stage of your life? How do you plan to prepare for that stage. Are you planning for retirement? Some of you think, well, that's a long way off. It comes quicker than what you think, believe me. Resourceful planning is a way to provide the hope of security for your future. Now, let's be clear here. This does not express a lack of faith in God. There is no dichotomy between trusting in God for your future and making wise plans for your future. Those two things are not necessarily opposed to each other. This also does not guarantee your future. The book of Proverbs recognizes that there are extenuating circumstances in life that may come along that you have no control over and that may affect your planning for the future. Major events like tornadoes and floods and other events like sickness and illness. It's no guarantee because God is sovereign and things happen in life. But resourceful planning is a way to overcome those weaknesses that we read about here and to find security on this level. The second obstacle that we come across is a lack of leadership found in the locust. Now, I have to say, I prepared this sermon three years ago. Nothing I'm saying now has anything to do with the fact that our pastor has been uh, set aside for about a month, okay? So... Don't draw any conclusions based on anything I say. This the same sermon I preached three years ago, okay? So, uh, verse 27 states that locusts have no king. In other words, they have no appointed authoritative leadership. There's no one to give direction or unity to their group. With a leader, people are more inclined to do what they're supposed to do. Without a leader, people tend to go their own way, do their own thing, pursue their own goals. No one to kind of hold you accountable. No one looking over your shoulder to make sure you're doing the right things. The locusts don't have a leader, yet verse 27 says they all march in rank. They march in rank. The word rank is a word that means division. It gives the idea that locusts advance as an army. 
They instinctively move as one. And what is interesting is that the verbs in this clause are singular. Each one moves or marches. And as each individual locus does its part, the group moves together. Each one has to do what they're supposed to do. Each one has to take responsibility and and do what is necessary for there to be success. This is self-reliance in a good sense. By taking responsibility for your life, you're not just waiting around for someone to tell you what you need to do. Again, this doesn't mean that you don't need help along the way or you cannot seek assistance from others. There are Proverbs that deal with that. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. The emphasis here is that you need to do what you need to do. You need to take responsibility for those areas of your life that you have control over. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon an eight-year-old boy living in the inner city of Detroit who was raised by a single mother working several jobs to make ends meet. And this mother is an example of someone who took responsibility for her life and provided for her sons. And she taught her sons to take responsibility for their lives as well. There was a poem she used to recite to her sons. And one stanza went like this. You're the captain of your ship, so agree with the same. If you travel downward, you have yourself to blame. Now you can see why this wouldn't go over too well in some places today. It can be easily misunderstood and it can seem to be rather harsh in the cultural context in which we live. This mother had a strong faith in God. She's not telling her sons that they are the captain of their own ship because they don't need God. She is calling them to responsibility, to do what they need to do to face those disadvantages that they face every day in their lives and to take responsibility for their lives. Street-level wisdom. We shouldn't conclude from this that leaders are not important. The Bible itself sets apart leaders uh, for God's people. But we don't want to put all of our hope in any one leader except for Jesus Christ. He's the one to whom we ultimately look. And the results, the, the, the results, uh, these locusts march in rank. They're transformed from a, from a mob of, of, of individual locusts, perhaps, to an effective war machine. The book of Joel talks about a locust plague with swarms of locusts coming and staying for three, four, five, six hours and leaving and coming again. And, and at the end of the, those swarms of locusts, there is nothing left. No green plant, no food, nothing like an army coming through the land. This eight-year-old boy overcame many disadvantages. He became a pediatric surgeon, neurosurgeon actually, 
who performed many life-saving surgeries and even successfully separated Siamese twins. Maybe you know who I'm talking about. Not everyone is going to turn out to be a Ben Carson, but obstacles don't need to stand in the way of what you might be able to accomplish in life. The third obstacle is, let me just say, being ordinary, and I'll I'll flesh that out here uh, as as we look at this third example. Um, It's the example of the lizard. And the lizard is, is rather unremarkable. It says the lizard you can take in your hands. You can control them easily. Sort of unremarkable. We have a bunch of these in our back porch. And when I see a lizard running across the back porch, I don't have a negative reaction. I don't shiver. I shiver when I see a snake. Not everybody here shivers when they see a snake. Okay, I understand that. But a lot of us do. We, we shiver when we see a snake. And I'm not going to try to grab a snake with my hands. They're harder to control. But lizards, my grandkids, play with them. They've named them. You don't have to worry about lizards. No poisonous barbs. They don't try to bite you. If they do, it's not going to really do anything. Unremarkable. You don't expect much out of them. Ordinary. Compared with other animals. And yet, what can they do? They're found in king's palaces. They go places we can't go. Let's see one of us trying to get into the palace of a king, some one of us trying to get into a, a resident of, of royalty, someone us trying to just kind of stroll through the White House. It's not going to happen. We can't go those places unless we have a specific reason to be there. The lesson here maybe is that even if you're ordinary, unremarkable, nothing really stands out, you can still go places, be a success in life. Don't wait around hoping to receive recognition from others. Don't live your life based on what others think of you. If you're waiting on others to affirm you or or make you feel good about yourself, that's a dead-end street. You may feel inadequate. You may feel unremarkable. You may feel ordinary. Most of us have felt that way at some part of our lives. Don't let that hinder you. Go out and make something of yourself and be surprised at what you can accomplish even more so at what God can accomplish through you. Here we come back to the example at the beginning of the sermon of the 18-year-old young woman who had the accident and was confined to the wheelchair for the rest of her life. You probably know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata and if you've read the beginning of that story after that accident she really really wrestled with self-pity anger despair giving up on life but she overcame she didn't let those obstacles keep her from pursuing a full and 
vibrant life. I mean, she's the definition of weakness. Not having any physical strength. And yet through hard work, she's made something of her life. But even more important with, with, with Johnny, she is an example of someone who combines both the street-level wisdom with what we would call the ultimate level of wisdom. She is not only preparing or prepared to live her life in the best way she could, but she was preparing for her future life, her life in eternity. And if you believe in a life after death, why would we not be preparing for that life? Eternity with God. And in one sense, she embodies for us the true nature of God's people. In fact, the characteristics of these animals have some parallel with who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. We're not very strong in the eyes of the world. We must use God's wisdom to overcome a hostile world. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong, that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And we even have more reason than the locusts to strive for unity as God's people. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 that we should be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, counting others more significant than ourselves. And like the lizard, we're kind of unremarkable, ordinary. But even worse, we had a really bad start. Because apart from Christ, we are, by nature, children of wrath standing under the judgment of God. But through the power of Christ, we're made into an instrument of His grace, even a trophy of His grace, as He transforms our lives, accepting us through the righteous work of our Savior Jesus Christ through faith. So that now we are not identified by our sin. We are not identified by the disadvantages or the obstacles that we may face in life. Because there's nothing in this life that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation faced many obstacles, many disadvantages, trials of a spiritual nature because they were involved in that spiritual warfare the book of Revelation lays out. But in each of the trials of these churches, The beginning of Revelation, there is an emphasis on the one who conquers, the one who overcomes. Revelation 2.7, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. 2.11, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. 3.5, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. 321, the one who conquers, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. 
with Christ, the power of Christ, we are able to persevere. It may be hard, no doubt about it. The power of Christ, we're able to persevere even as we face disadvantages and obstacles in life. We're not just victims. I know, I realize that there are some true victims. But we have the power of Christ working in us. And he uses our obstacles to fulfill his purposes. And it's because of that perspective that we have such great hope. Because it really doesn't depend upon us, ultimately. It depends upon Christ. Don't believe the lies of the world. Don't believe the lies of our culture. They may tell you that you're a failure. They may tell you that you can never measure up. Through Jesus Christ, you're a child of the King. In all humility, live out the victory that He has won for you. With Christ, you can overcome any obstacle because He's the one who's working. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you accept us as sinners, sinners who see our need of Jesus Christ. We know our failures. And we thank you for what Christ has accomplished for us. And we are only accepted by you through faith in Christ. We also pray, Lord, that you would help us in our sanctification as we live out that life, that new life which you've given to us. And we still depend upon you so much, but we pray that you would help us to understand your word, to understand the book of Proverbs, and to live in such a way that would be pleasing to you, not because we're trying to earn anything, but because we want to please you, because we understand what Christ has done for us, we offer our lives as living sacrifices, even as that great hymn we sang earlier said, to give to you my life, my all. Thank you that you are at work. Thank you that we can see your work, even in the very darkest times. We pray that you would continue to strengthen us to accomplish what you would want us as individual believers to accomplish, to accomplish what you would want us as a church to accomplish. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.